Welcome to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson, and here we are exploring subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. As always, with questions or comments about our show, you can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. Before we get into this episode, a quick disclaimer. We had some technical issues with one of our guests' voices, but felt his participation was important. We are sorry for the quality in advance. All right. So while we have had a fair number of well-known guests on our program, part of our mission is to also talk to people you may not know yet, but we think you will soon. In fairness, the dynamic duo on the show today are not total strangers to media coverage. Their wedding in 2021 during the height of the pandemic was covered in the New York Times style section, and that's no small deal. Attention as a budding hospitality power couple began buzzing in 2018 where they purchased a building in Miami's historic Overtown to open their first venture, the cool, chic 22-room bed and breakfast, The Copper Door. Aquino and Jamila West met as culinary students at Johnson & Wales in North Miami and both possess an impressive culinary pedigree. She having worked in management as part of the L.A.-based hospitality group SBE and he as a chef in the esteemed kitchens, such as the local Miami institution, Michael's Genuine, and as an intern at the restaurant Noma, which has for multiple years been ranked as the number one restaurant in the world. That's pretty cool. And we'll talk to Aquino a little bit about that, get his take on Noma. In 2021, the couple opened Rosie's, a brunch-focused pop-up serving a feel-good soul food brunch with subtle Italian nuances and classic techniques that became a huge hit. Recently, Rosie's found a permanent home in the hip inside of Miami neighborhood known as Little River. And I can tell you from having experienced Aquino's food and Jamila's skilled and detailed focused hospitality, that these are two people to watch. So Aquino and Jamila, welcome to Corner Table Talk. What's happening? Thanks so much for having us. This is so exciting. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. We kick things off here with our short order questions that the terminology should be familiar to you both. So I'll ask you one at a time. Jamila, you go first. What music are you listening to? Right now, I'm doing a lot of throwback albums. It reminds me of my time while in high school and gives me this refresh of energy. I think during that time as a high school student, I was just had this very strong kind of go-getter mentality. I think a lot of the hip-hop music that I was listening to at the time just gave that kind of hustler's mentality to go out and get it. So I've been playing it back to a different era <laughs> lately. I hear you. Next one of these, morning beverage. Akino, what's the first thing you drink in the morning? A nice cold glass of orange juice with ice. Okay. And Jamila, how about you? First beverage? Coffee all day. Yeah, I'm <laughs> one of those people. I can't say more than a few sentences before I have my cup of coffee. And I prefer mine black. Okay. Are you making runs to Starbucks or are you brewing your own? I let French press a lot. When on the run, I'll do a quick Keurig. But then once I get into the restaurant, we have a great coffee partner, Counter Culture. So my Kind of cafe beverage of choice is usually an oat milk latte. Our bartender hooks me up each morning. Nice. All right. So, Jamila, how about your footwear at work? I know you're on your feet quite a bit. What are you wearing on your feet? So, lately, Doc Martens were 
just because they're non-slip and resistant. And I never know when it's going to rain here in Miami. So I always feel prepared. It's a little too warm for such a thick boot. I will say that. But so I switch up between uh, Vans and just a simple all black Doc Murray. Okay. Aquino, how about you, man? At the moment, in my case, they're easy to walk around. They've been outside. So they're all black and they can match with them. Yeah, man. Shoes are important for those of us that spend a lot of time on our feet. All right. Not to get anybody mad at you, but just tell me your favorite Miami restaurant of the moment. Jamila, where do you like to eat now? Right now, I'm really into more like low-key to some degree, but craftsmanship. So right now, Paradise B&B stands for butter and book, or sorry, bread and books. They're making their own homemade sourdough. It's like a bookshop slash all natural cozy wine shop. They have some awesome like food and beverage driven activations. They have a great just like wine subscription program. The owners are delightful. They're all the team members are also owners of the space. They did it themselves. They bought an old building in heart. And I just I love going over there. Oh man, that's a good tip. I just bought a loaf of sourdough this morning from Whole Foods, but I'm gonna have to check that out. I love sourdough. Let's jump in. And uh, as I mentioned, you have a new permanent location for Rosie. So let's discuss the new location and what attracted you to Little River and uh, the space that you chose in particular. I'll let uh, either of you and both weigh in as you like. So the journey from the Copper Door Bed and Breakfast to Little River was an interesting one. We had looked at a few different neighborhoods that we felt passionately about. I think that culture, is always a foundation to whatever it is that we do. So we like to be in areas, not only live in areas, but be in areas of play and areas and socialize in areas that have meaning, like most people I think enjoy. And I think that the story behind Little River was special to us in the sense that it's up and coming, very similar to when we launched the Copper Door in Overtown back in 2018. That was before the big guns were really out over there and it had a hominess to it. And I think that everything we do has a little, has a genuineness and a hominess to it. And that we felt that very naturally in Little River, as well as to learn what development in the future was going to look like. Some of the folks in a particular area actually reached out to us and explained that they had this really cute house and they felt like there was just great between our brand and this particular property. So we went out to take a look at it and went from there. But uh, yeah, I love this kind of like very natural, organic feel that it has. There are warehouses, but there's also a lot of mom and pop shops up and down the street. I love that type of energy of just simple life. And Aquino, you're a Floridian. So how do you view the move to Little Haiti? I'm sorry, Little River. For me, it was all about finding a place that was awesome. I really enjoyed what developer were looking for there. The goal was that they want to build rush tank, but build items that into that neighborhood that was missing. Yeah, you know, that's always the rub. And Jamil, I know you spent quite a bit of time in L.A., but you read about various neighborhoods pushing back Echo Park, of course, South L.A. As the restaurants and coffee shops move in for various reasons, real estate prices, what have you, or just untapped markets. The shame is when the culture of the existing neighborhood starts to get lost. And I think based on your answer, and I know I talked to you a little bit about this, Jamila, when I visited, I, I like the fact that developer that you mentioned 
is complementing the area and looking to have the places that uh, they get behind really fit the vibe of what was already there, but still add something. I think that's just an important uh, dynamic that some developers really miss. Yeah. And we're seeing that far too often. I think some would say that Wynwood in particular is a great example of the in the small market. We've tried our best about who we partner with. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we're on the other side of, of the pandemic. I was walking around. My wife and I were in the design district the other day and uh, masks were a very rare sight. But that said, some headwinds are still facing the restaurant industry for sure. Cost of goods, hiring challenges, yet at the same time, at least by my observation, Miami is out and about and patronizing restaurants at what I would interpret to be pre-pandemic levels. You currently open at Rosie's five days a week from 9 a.m. to 2.30 until 3 on the weekends. So I'm curious, how are you finding some of the challenges that I mentioned? To be honest with you, I think that the fact that we branded our concept initially, we first opened in April of 2020. So that was the heat of the pandemic. And I think that to some degree, we haven't made it easy on ourselves as a platform. We've now been in our third location. And so we've constantly been moving. I think the impressive thing that I take great pride in is the fact that folks have followed us from the first stage of Rosie's up until now. I think that from a team perspective, we've just like gradually gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, whether that was from a perspective of more seat. Initially, we started off as to go only because restaurants were literally shut down during that time. So we've been able to gradually expand and the team has gradually expanded with us. And I think that it's been interesting because you have two creatives that genuinely love food and beverage, right? And take it from literally one spectrum to the next. And when you have all this like momentum and toolbox full of like goodies, you want to just share that. You want to share that with your team. And so we've played with different scenarios of how to present rosies right all the way from where we are now full service somewhat of a full bar wine knowledge beverage knowledge like all those nuances and so with the team that we brought on we've been able to interview well and kind of like basically tell our story i'm finding that the folks that stay with us longer the folks that put in the work and the folks that are most helpful to our business actually believe in the business and us more than it just being job security for them. And so now when we interview, now when we talk, now when we get to know someone, when they mentioned that they dined with us before, when they mentioned that they did a little research and they read a few articles, there's an excitement, there's a brightness. And that's something really cool that I, I'm always willing to invest in. I won't say that we've made it easy. We've constantly been developing along the way. And Aquino, from the standpoint of the back of the house, I know that food prices have been rising everywhere. There's been a lot of talk about that. And I'm curious too, because the rap from places like New York and LA, from people that I know that have had restaurants in, in South Florida and Miami in particular, was that the talent pool was a little bit challenged, but we've seen the food business grow and become much more dynamic in the last few years. But I'm curious how, when I look at Rosie's pricing, I think you guys are very fairly priced and I'm curious how your cost of goods, how you're handling that in the back and how deep is the talent pool that you're able to draw from? Yeah, for, you know, the goal is like, how do we make balance? How do we make sure that our team has a good lifestyle at the work? How many days they work 
and there's enough to feed their family based on the hourly pay that we're able to give them. But also able to find the vendors believes in you know, what we are creating at the end of the day. Our goal at the end of the day is like youth more local vendors like Imagine Farm who use their muffins and their lettuce at the moment. All super local, all delicious price we negotiated work more fair to what comfortable out in the market. As you mentioned before, like prices have gone up is a little ridiculous how it hasn't balanced out yet. What we had to do was we increased the price to match what the market was putting out. Right. And how about the talent pool, man? How's staff retention been in developing talent? Are you finding that to, to ease up a little bit? It's definitely been a lot easier. Don't overextend. They know every week, whether it's slow or not, we try to dedicate the nine hours that we agree. And that's what they're helping with. As I mentioned, you both have fine dining experience in your background. And of course, for most people that conjures a certain expectation for quality of food service and price. And Rosie's, at least in my experience and observation, you know, it really strikes an interesting balance and it's really the type of place that I really like. It's got a casual vibe, yet at the same time, it offers an elevated experience. You come away from the restaurant with the impression that, that you know what you're doing both in the front and the back of the house. I had an absolutely delicious crispy fish sandwich and those crispy potatoes were just ridiculous. Those are two relatively simple by description items, but the execution was just really above and beyond, in, in my opinion, really delicious. And Jamila, the greeting from the front to the table, it really had the makings of a restaurant that suggests that there's experience at the wheel. If you would just describe for me the experience that you're aiming for at Rosie's in terms of vibe, service, food and beverage. Thank you for that little beautiful compliment. And I love that you asked the question because we're continuing to grow. So I have a two-part answer. The first is that one of the things that I try to train with a team and teach team is that there's certain things that don't necessarily have a monetary value associated with them, right? We could invest in beautiful glassware, for example, but right now we don't have the means to do it. Although when it comes to our support staff, for example, I'm going to train the buster and my service team is going to train a new buster to ask to take a dish out of the guest way opposed to, are you done with that? That simple language automatically promotes a different setting. So I love that both Aquino and I individually, um, funny enough, have taken it upon ourselves to really truly learn from the best, learn all avenues of this business, all levels, and then we're able to pull out these different tools from what we've built up in our toolbox over the years to be able to flex, if you will, in any arena in any area, we definitely also saw it within the Copper Door experience and we've extended that idea to Rosie's in regards to elegance and steps of service and being prompt and being intuitive about the service, anticipating guests meet, all these great like trigger words for us, like hospitality folks that we love to be able to accomplish. That's what we're really training, right? Kino many times in the kitchen is teaching the idea of tasting everything every level of flavor, every related part of the dish. 
and then bringing it together. And when we make mistakes, it's like, where do we go wrong? How do we get better? That's something else that we ingrained in our training and stuff is that the way that our restaurant is right now is by no means how it's always going to be. We are a living, growing, breathing little monster that needs patience and needs grooming and needs critique. And we allow everyone to bring their ideas and their experiences while working with us to the forefront of that open door policy so that we can get better. In the future, where our current space, what you've been able to experience is completely outdoors. And we're renovating a residential property a few feet away from that open lot space that we're currently utilizing to renovate what we see as the permanent space for Rosie. So that space is very exciting because we're integrating dinner service, which naturally has a little bit more seriousness, right? A little bit more elegance, a little bit more sexy than that kind of fun-filled family experience that we currently providers we love, but it will mature in that way. So that's going to bring on a little bit more beverage service, right? Certainly a much bigger wine list. The check average will be quite different, for example, but we're able to take those foundational elements, our steps of service now, and then apply them in more of an evening setting. My goal right now is that we're grooming our team so that when we do make that move, they feel like they're doing the same thing, just with more tools and with tinier objects in a different kind of setting. But we're all about not working for tomorrow or for next weekend or next Sunday, but like we're creating and developing and learning toward next year, towards that James Beard. Like that's what we're striving for. So I think that comes through in the experience of what you've been able to see yourself. And Jim Miller, before I, I turn to Aquino for a comment, I want to emphasize the important role of, of house presence. There's so many very popular places these days that have multiple locations and the owner slash restaurant tour is not necessarily a front of house presence. And one of the things that I really enjoy in some of the places that I've patronized on a regular basis over the years, and what I tried to do when I'm in the business is just be really present in the room. And uh, it's easy to toss around phrases about hospitality and service and little uh, cliches about how to do it. But my sentiment was something that was given to me a long time ago by an old friend who told me, never mistake your arrival for the event. And I always applied that to on a nightly basis. Our business has become a showy. It's fun to say I own a restaurant, even if you know, you're just an investor. But for those of us at the front line of service, it really is about the guest's experience. And I want to compliment you, Jamila, because I can feel that presence at Rosie's and that emanates throughout the staff. And you can definitely tell the difference. It's a personal touch that I really enjoy. So I want to encourage you to continue in that regard. And Aquino, I noticed, as I said, had a few dishes of yours, had a brunch at the, the previous Rosie's location, which was fantastic. And I just had lunch a couple of months ago. And a fish sandwich is a fish sandwich for most people, right? And crispy potatoes. I think of, and I'm going to date myself, I think of like albums from back in the day, right? Where there were just no throwaway cuts on an album. Right? Every, you could go seven, eight cuts deep on an earth, wind, and fire, and you would have, your, the ninth song would be as cool to you as the first track. And on your menu, I, that's how I felt. I felt everything that I saw on that menu could be a hit in its own right. 
I know that you have an elevated approach and you're trying to navigate that into a concept that feels casual yet also elevated. But I'm wondering how you approach that, man, because I really think your execution is fantastic. Well, man, it really does mean a lot. Come from someone like this. What I'm trying to do is trying to play around with things a little difficult to kind of navigate. Say, how can we create a well-developed experience out of those breakfast punks? When we opened the copper door, that's where it originally started. And that's where it was like, all right, let's take this super serious. But how can we put the envelope look? Because where our background is, a little more fine dining. And that's the goal of it, to try to elevate that. If I may, Brad, just very briefly, because I feel like I've been eating Tino's food for a long time, 10 years. When we were dating, he would come home from work and put on this show of, of cuisine for me, which is certainly my love language. So I'm down for it. But what I was able to see in terms of repetition out of his dishes, particularly, was a balance of flavor that I didn't know of. And I think that when creating Rosie's, we're in this kind of breakfast corner, but so we wanted to create food that, that breakfast he had grew up with. So we, basically our concept is very Southern driven. Um, but with his experience in a Nordic country, working for a Jewish chef and then being exposed to Mediterranean flavors, I think that he's like cracked the code when it comes to combining savory and very kind of full stack dishes, but then adding brightness, adding a adding fresh herbs and then it becomes a really balanced dish at that point and that's one of the things that whenever I have food it's something that I feel like he tastes and analyzes and that's what creates the final product is if it has balance enough heat with enough acid with enough fat to, to bring it home and I think maybe that's what you might have experienced with fish you have to collaborate chili aioli but you get that chow that kind of like slaw on top it just brightens it and it adds another level of texture. And I notice this consistency, whether he realizes it or not, but I, I can tell that's what he looks for. When he says something is missing, it means that it hasn't come full circle yet. It isn't, it isn't complete in terms of that. Being its way around the palate fully. So I, I have a great job of encouraging him to continue doing that. I think that's what the guests walk away with, where it, it was good breakfast versus great. That was great. Yeah, that's a lovely description. And Aquino, Jamila is right. And I think you've established your lane. It's no secret, at least to those of us in the business, that breakfast and brunch is not a chef's favorite meal day part. But there's a humility to the approach. And also there's a trust factor, man. If you can make a kick-ass killer fish sandwich, I'm down to try whatever else you make. And because it had the intricacies, I'm glad you mentioned that slaw, Jamila, because that was also a big part of that sandwich. And not to overplay the sandwich, I also had the shrimp and grits on one of my visits, and I thought that was fantastic. There's so much mediocre, mundane food out there. And when you can elevate the common experience that up to the level that you have, that's when you hook people. And I think that's what you guys are doing. And I just want to I want to encourage you to just continue down that road because I've been to a lot of fancy places and it's hard sometimes to find something that you really lock into. And I just feel like I, I can lock into what you guys are doing. So keep doing more of that. 
Before we move to the next subject, I just wanted to circle back real quick to the uh, to the new building that you're going to be moving into. So how many seats and are you going to still have outdoor dining? We're planning out the numbers depending on how much revenue we're looking to make. But yes, we have outdoor dining, but very many. The goal is cost more of a dinner concert and to still play on that Saturday, Sunday brunch that I guess really enjoy. It makes us take that away. Especially dessert. Fantastic. And I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit about the menu. But before I do, I wanted to touch on your first venture together that I mentioned in the opening. You decided to open a bed and breakfast in Overtown. And for those who don't know, Overtown has a rich history, Black culture dating back to the 1930s that coincided with the Harlem Renaissance. And in the 1960s, as was the case in many Black areas, freeways were constructed that had a major impact on the area and its residents. And it's just recently started to make a comeback, as you all alluded to earlier, a couple of big names. Marcus Samuelson has opened Red Rooster there. But yeah, you both were early in the game and in Overtown. And Aquino, I know you grew up in Riviera Beach, Florida. So that that area, I'm sure, had some historical significance for you. But if you would talk about the inspiration to open a bed and breakfast as your first venture, tell us a little bit about how you guys found that space, the significance of the neighborhood, and how that deal came together. I can't even kind of tell the story the right way. Like Jamila, I think that was this that uh, better. I can give you the first clip. So originally, we were looking for a restaurant for costumes that we played around with. My background, what I really enjoy, cooking outside. We were looking in the area, and then we met the developer. Tells them that we were looking for an breakfast or something of this, and it just turned into this knowing approach of going over the over down in this amazing space. But a space that we also had so much history and so much culture, and it just felt like home. It's like where has this and why is it not open? It was a very organic process, Brad. I think it even goes beyond that, right? I had experienced very Southern bed and breakfast for lodging and travel growing up. And so when I first moved to Miami, I really thought about cultivating this concept, but life happened and I set it to the side. And essentially we started our entrepreneurial journey with an Airbnb. This was before... It was as popular as it is now, but we, as boyfriend and girlfriend, if you will, we purchased a home together. And uh, so I, I think that the copper door is a lot like a love letter from Aquino to me. He knew that this was something that I wanted to do. And although we were physically searching for a restaurant in order for him to flourish, we stumbled upon this vacant building. And my eyes just became very wide and very bright. And uh, he was down and willing to open up something much bigger than a bed and breakfast, right? 22 rooms more along a boutique hotel. But uh, from a culinary perspective, he was able to shine. Being in Overtown, hearing the story of Black entrepreneurship, specifically in the building that we operated, actually, it all just felt meant to be. It really like I. I tell people that like Overtown chose us, not the other way around. I really do believe that when I, when my ears were open and my eyes were open and when I got to experience a very kind of rough slate, but a blank slate, I had great vision that we can make something very special out of it. And 
many, although we, we closed down the bed and breakfast this past August, I get so many emails and so many questions about opening it up again. And we really created something special in an area where there was little to no activity. But we're just so proud to be a part of that history of the current renaissance that's happening in that part of Miami. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something that the New York Times mentioned, and I'll take a quote from them. You guys had a little bit more than a year of operating, if I'm correct, and then the pandemic hit. But the New York Times says, quote, as Copper Door was booming, they were fully booked for Miami's Ultra Music Festival in March 2020. The coronavirus forced them to close. But putting the business on pause had an upside. And quoting Uakino, it said, we slowed down and got to know each other even better. We had synergy and gave the other the attention we needed to help us handle the challenges more maturely, end quote. So closing a business is never easy. I've had that experience. And of course, in this case, because it was a once in a century pandemic that no one saw coming, even when it was here, some didn't see it coming. But you mentioned some personal growth. So I'm curious from both of you, what was your takeaway from the experience personally? Or they gave us the moment, step away and have grows the mission. You have to focus on your ability for and you don't have to regroup or give yourself a little breathe and it can't like destroy. It was a very stressful time at that time. I think after the first three, four months is when I was able to really buy into that idea of don't worry about what you can't hit, what you can't, what you can't fix, what you can't handle. But at first it was very overwhelming. The phones were off the hook nonstop because the quote is accurate. We were very full and had a lot of panicked gas. And we initially, of course, we felt like, okay, a month, a few weeks, okay, two months. Then we get to month three and day in and day out, I'm like calling the banks, filling out different applications for different opportunities, looking back on applications only to find out that like a window had closed for certain like state opportunities and funding. So it was really a high anxiety time because I feel like every entrepreneur was just trying to grab whatever was available to them. And no one really knew either from the funding side, like the funders weren't organized, the banks weren't organized, that you would try to call in and you could never get through. It was just was like a lot of chaos as an entrepreneur to try to hear of all the opportunity and money and, and assist and then just be in this circle just like constantly it felt like either constantly missing the mark or no one having information so it was very tough we're trying to get a business back on track simultaneously while opening another new concept that no one knows about so it was I think that what got us through was like just the willpower. And I can now look back and gosh, like my mom sometimes will tease me. She, she makes like silly comments. I would still be in the corner, like fetal position. And you guys created businesses over like six months. Also, I was able to recognize that we, you never know how much, what you're capable of until the shit hits the fan. Yeah. That's so true. And as a couple, you got married in the middle of all of that. So you guys deepened your commitment. And my wife, Linda, has been my business partner for close to 20 years. And we've certainly had our battles. We're both Virgos and she's probably a truer Virgo than I am. Very detail oriented, but working together just really suits us well. We've learned to disagree without being disagreeable, as they say. 
And um, so it's a challenge for us to, to set the work part of our lives aside. But that is also so important to maintain that balance, Akino, that you were talking. You got to have your mental right for anything else to flow. So I'm curious how you all are handling the challenges of being married and being business partners. Initially, was probably the hardest when getting the business up and running. It's almost like living, moving in with someone for the first time. It's, oh, this is who you really are. So we decided to integrate therapy into our relationship a little bit earlier on. And as running a business is very, I don't know from experience yet, but it's almost like creating a human, a child, again, like a living, breathing thing to some degree and having to compromise constantly is challenging, especially when the business is like not on its game for whatever reason. And that's really, I think, Kino's point as well, like the pandemic did give us that chance to like, how are you feeling? And like, just really talk outside of like these kind of structured therapy sessions, which was interesting. I think we're definitely continuing to learn each day. I think that we're learning that for the health of our relationship inside of our home, that many times we need space and a moment outside of that work this year. Or really just like allowing each other to take the lead on certain things while other ones supports from afar. And that's really hard when you both have strong feelings toward the same thing. It's sometimes ego for us sometimes gets in the way. I'm an Aries and he knows the Libra. So we tend to butt heads because apparently we're both fire signs. So yeah, we're just really learning. One of the questions that I get asked often from a, a, a business woman perspective is the advice that you would give someone else. And uh, lately, my advice has been to really play to your strengths and fill your weaknesses with people that where your weakness tends to be their strength. For example, fill those voids and be true to those voids. You can always get better at whatever's challenging for you. If you have the opportunity to get your get aces in places, then go ahead and do that and figure out, have an understanding, a genuine understanding as to what is not so easy for you or not passionate for you to do, right? As people, you realize that at a certain point in time, actually preparing the full day in and that day out, actually designing the restaurant, like all that kind of starts to fade away because you're empowering your team to do that on your behalf, to be the storytellers on the floor, to greet the guests appropriately to prepare the dish the right way. For us as a couple too, one of the things that we've been focusing on is what's making you happier? And let's figure out space and time for you to do more of that. Because you end up at some point in the career as an entrepreneur becoming more of an administrator, right? You're making business decisions and not so in the day-to-day. So if he'll randomly just create a new dish, that was just because he felt like it. It wasn't like what are the margins on this? And is it going to make money? And how well is it going to sell? This is what he felt like preparing today. And so encouraging each other in those phases and to make it less. Did you do the numbers? No, like have some time for yourself. Did you work out? We're trying to integrate more and more into our lives. We're definitely not the masters of it yet. Kudos to you and Linda because it is not easy. It's an ongoing thing and communication is key and always the thing that we need to work on. And even we still do need to work on. And Aquino, I'm curious as a creative, not that Jamila is not creative, but obviously what she does gives you a certain amount of room to do what you need to do. Have you found that having a married business partner gives you 
a little bit more space to create? Or is it, does the challenge of being in business with your partner eat up some of that space? I'm not trying to start anything here. I just want to, I want to build on a little bit of how you approach it. It's difficult, right? Being able to communicate with each other when the business was going down, having her there a lot easier for me to develop more of the dish that we're currently at now. But her being honest about it is important. And as you two grow together and experience more, obviously what you just went through with the pandemic is that challenges, that challenged the best of us. As the trust builds and just what you were alluding to, just knowing the place that the comments come from, the support comes from, I know I count on my wife for that honest feedback delivered in a way that it's palatable to me, but also that I can react to. And I think, Jamila, it goes both ways. I would encourage you both to just continue to work on that communication because a part, I've seen these partnerships really work. And uh, you find the more that you share, the more there is to share. I just want to encourage you. You're both two very talented and bright people. So I want to see it work for you. Just before I, I move on to another subject, Kino, I'm really curious. I never got a chance to go to Noma, but what would you say, if you could nail it down, makes that restaurant such an incredible experience that would cause it to be the number one restaurant in the world for so many years? For me, it was all about that we weren't just in the background, right? We was actually like the forefront. We helped build and develop the stress that as a whole. It wasn't just that Chef Rene was as a chef and he created this mastermind, this masterpiece. It was cowardice to be like, hey, this is your restaurant just as much as this is mine. No one knows more about the school in the back of the house. The reality, we created, developed, cooked this food every day. What allergy is there? What from don't work, eat and enjoy that part of the meal. Our final destination for the road at our house, we developed our team, our back out more inclusive of the, the service, part of the hospitality. We walk the food out and all of this start. So what kind of made it for everyone in, in like that part of the team. Yeah. And you know, we, our last place post and beam, we had an open kitchen and we had a food counter in front of the kitchen. I actually had gone to Moza when we were thinking about various concepts and I really enjoyed sitting there watching Nancy Silverton and her artistry, just creating pizzas and just the fact that the kitchen was as involved in the room as the customers were, and a lot of people would come in and see the line cooks and wave at them and acknowledge them. It was definitely a more interactive and enjoyable experience, I think, for everybody. Now, I don't know if you have potential to do that, given the house, the actual, how the house is compartmentalized, but I agree with you, Akino, having the cooks come out, the chef come out from the back and deliver food is always a, an extra special touch. We'll figure it out. My goal is to make sure that it happens. So <clears throat> let's talk about Miami. We've been coming here since the 80s and always enjoyed visiting. And over that time, the past several decades, Miami has really grown from just being a place to come and hang out at the beach to now you've got the Design District, Wynwood, Midtown, and of course, Little Haiti. We have a house here now, so I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Miami. And in the last few years, there's been a lot of media attention about who's moving to Miami, the tech industry, the banking industry, a lot of folks moving from New York, from California. Jamila, I'm, I'm curious, you grew up in New York, but you spent 
time in Los Angeles before moving to Miami. How would you describe the culture and the energy of Miami? These days, it's very unique. Miami's always been a unique place, right, in comparison to the rest of the state. And I remember my first, I hadn't moved here without ever visiting here before. And so I was like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I'm just like, I feel like I'm in a different country, and it's just so Caribbean, it's so island, so the city is special in that way. Today, there's this boom, and the energy has shifted toward culture. And when I say culture, cultural perspective of Miami being showcased as much as Latin culture is known here in the city. So that's been very exciting to see from a food and beverage perspective. I think there's a lot of hustle. There's a lot of grit. I recently, a podcast not too long ago, and the question was surrounded within this idea of like, how do you feel about New York and LA concept coming into Miami and just making their mark and planting shit without it being like Miami grown? And my thoughts on that. And I think I, this ties in a little bit to what we we're speaking about in terms of staffing. There's good and bad to the idea. Although I will say that with that integration with these larger but find executed restaurant concepts that am seeing a newer wave of talent coming into Miami as well as perspective. So I, I enjoy that. There's a young lady that I'm great friends with who's a frequent diner at Rosie's who used to work at a great restaurant that just won a Michelin star called Boyade. And she was a server there. And she had expressed to me that when she joined them, she didn't know these big names. She had no idea Eleven Madison who, like, it looked like she was very green in the industry. She ended up taking up a junior SOM job at one of these New York implanted restaurants. And now she's in California, you're making great for me to come back to Miami to share all that knowledge. So I see things like that happening where she moved from a mom and pop restaurant to one of these more well-known restaurants, but was able to get a level of education that she couldn't have received from the previous experience. So I'm a big believer in education and experience. And I like that our industry has opportunity because of who's moving in. I think the energy right now is very entrepreneurial driven, which I so really love. It wasn't until becoming an entrepreneur that I realized all the resources, all the conversations, co-working spaces like CIC, initiatives like the Miami Bayside Foundation. There's the Miami Foundation in particular as well. I was opened up to a lot of non-for-profit organizations that are really cultivating programming meant for startups and entrepreneurship here in the state. So I also grew a great respect for where Miami is trying to go. When I, with my experience growing up in Westchester and Hudson Valley, moving to LA, along with being an expat in the Middle East, my feeling is that I'm like super excited and very ecstatic about what the city will have to offer on a global scale 10 years from now, even five. But 10 years from now, I'm really excited to see where the storyline goes. There's a lot of new energy, a lot of fresh energy. And to be honest, there's a lot less of getting drunk and partying. So it, it truly is an exciting time, not only for business, but for culture and community here in Miami. Um, Kino, I'm curious how you feel about that. I think that you worked at the Perez. We had recently on the show the director, Franklin Sermons of Perez, who was formerly in Los Angeles, and he talked about 
some of the things you just mentioned, Jamila, the amount of building that's actually going on in Miami and what the city is becoming and the gateway to South America and just the mix of cultures. I think I feel that here in a way that's different than I felt it in LA. It's not that it didn't exist in LA, but it's more reminiscent of New York to me that way than Los Angeles was. But Aquino, as somebody that grew up here and spent time in, in prestigious places restaurant wise, how would you say the city's evolved over the years? What's your take on the energy here? It's becoming more diverse. I really enjoy everyone coming down here. And they see it as a upcoming city, but also it's best comfortable to be around others and cultures and diversity here. So winding down here, just the last couple of things. I'm curious, do you all work with a publicist? Do you do your own social media? Who does your posts? What's the story there? Yeah, we do have PR now. We They were actually offering pro bono services for a particular quarter of the year. It's funny because they do the PR for the restaurant at Perez Art Museum. So someone had sent Kino a link. I applied for the for the grant opportunity and they ended up taking us on through the pro bono services. But we realized how drastically our business had changed. And so now we've invested in them to represent us for national opportunities and things like that. I think you and I first were in touch back in 2011, just before we opened Post and Beam. And I believe that I mentioned to you that I lamented for so long the absence of Black food writers and urge you to maybe go down that path, although I love what you're doing. And that has started to change, but slowly, fortunately, the mainstream media has begun to expand its coverage to include restaurants and the folks behind them that in the past have been overlooked. I know James Beard had reckoning and after 2020 and the social reckoning that went on, there was a lot of conversation around supporting black owned. And while I recognize there are certain advantages to identifying yourself as a black owned business. Other operators don't necessarily have to make race a part of their pitch, if you will. And I think there are advantages and disadvantages to that. Certainly there are advantages when it comes to access to capital, if there's capital available to a minority-owned business. But then there's also the danger of potentially pigeonholing yourself by having to attach race or ethnicity to ownership. And I know, Jamila, you mentioned one of the things that I read how you often were the only one of color in the room, in the kitchen or in the dining room, the case may be. I don't know, Aquino, what your experience might have been that way. But I'm curious how both of you view the unique challenges and opportunities as young Black restaurant owners. Aquino, how about you? Do you have a take on this? I do want everyone to know what we create and what we develop is done by a person of color and that we and as much detail as as much as everyone else and every other race that has developed a restaurant or a concept and the love that's been behind it. You want to come out to a place that's cooking this type of food and you enjoy it and that you love what we do. And and it's unfortunate sometimes from the black owned or the people of color that are in my opinion and my language like to hear it sometimes and not knowing how to approach that. We get a lot of guests that come out, enjoy our food, and it regular and we built the space for a good restaurant. But like that, sometimes feel good when we get this mixed up. But oh, wait, you made a mistake on your point, or not us, but 
or the guests, you know, they're ordering the wrong things. All right, cool. As a business, are we supposed to take that back away? Are we supposed to eat that call? You made a mistake. If you brought it to our attention, that just it's fine line. And, and of course, sometimes, unfortunately, it is the people that live like us. Yeah, it's, and one of the reasons, Jamila, that I had encouraged you in terms of writing was because, to Aquino's point, our folks do need to be brought around to the idea of dining at a certain level. Not everybody, of course, we're not being very general here when I say that, but the young, some of the younger people and some of the older folks as well. When we opened Post and Bean, it was a different kind of restaurant for that neighborhood, and they were used to a certain kind of experience. We were not putting salt on the tables and our approach was just different and it took a little acclimating, but working with the clientele. But the thing that I will encourage you both about is you're celebrating the culture. You're not hiding from it. It's not a question of, oh, I don't want to be black owned because I don't want to put that label on myself because you're, you're, you're black when you show up, <laughs> you're black when people walk in there. And I just, I worry that for us, for those of us in this business, when we have to say it's black owned. When no one else has to identify, Wolfgang Puck doesn't have to say I'm a white owned restaurant. Because what would that say to me as a black person? Does that mean that, well, am I, should I go there? Should I not go there? Am I going to decide where I go because it's based on this or the other? And I think that you are, it's a cultural experience that you're offering the food and the elevated approach to some of the food that's very familiar to us. And yes, you're going to occasionally get the guest that looks like one of us, that's going to say, well, this is not how my grandmother made grits. I'm sorry. And you've got to handle that how you see fit. Yelp is sometimes your best and your worst friend. And unfortunately, our folks can be unkind to us on Yelp, but we've just got to continue to educate and push the envelope. And I think that you all are doing that and you're going to win way more times than you're not going to. The losses, while they're painful in the moment, you've got to react to them and, uh, and it's on to the next. Jamila, anything about the upcoming Rosies that you're excited about you want to share? I'm excited about it all. I think that from a design perspective and a aesthetic perspective, that's what's really exciting for me. We're actually working with one of the, she's not our designer. She helped us design a lot of the aesthetic for the copper door, but she's like our brand guru. So she's going to make sure that all of the marketing and the social media and the collateral and the experience from when you walk in that door and what the doorbell looks like all the way to what valet will look like, she's helping uh, guide myself and our design team throughout that really well-rounded experience for the guests. And that's something that I just really, I love when a brand has great energy and when a lot of like detail is put into it. Um, So that's what kind of giving me goosebumps right now. I know the menu is going to be sick. But I'm also excited for the beverage component. We do plan on doing a little bit of afternoon snacks, happy hour service before dinner. So I'm excited for the little. I'm always a big, a big embracer of the small moments that make up the picture. So I just can't wait to reveal all the all the goodies to new guests as well as our long term. Fantastic! I want to wish you both much continued success, and you're very close to our house. You're going to be seeing a lot of me at Rosie's and I want to thank you both for taking the time today. It's really been great catching up. Great chatting with you, Brad. Thank you again. Pleasure. See you soon. <laughs>